Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to today's edition of Calvary Live, recorded uh, live, uh, broad I should say broadcast live and recorded live here on the Grace FM radio network. So everyone listening up and down the front range here uh, throughout Colorado, Wyoming, parts of Nebraska, uh, online at gracefm.com. You're listening live uh, to a radio call-in show where we dialogue together about the things of the Lord. And then we also are on many other stations around the country. We're on the Hope FM radio network, the Truth FM radio network. We just uh, welcome all the stations on the Freedom Radio, Freedom uh FM, I think is what it's called, but, you know, states like Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Iowa, Idaho, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Michigan, Missouri, Mississippi, Montana, New Mexico, Nevada, South Carolina, Tennessee, Washington, Texas, Wisconsin, and then, of course, New Jersey, Maryland, Pennsylvania, and I forget Truth FM. Uh, Can you help me with Truth FM? Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I think it's South Carolina. There was three. I had a note here, and I don't know where it went. Um, But there were three different states that uh, Truth FM covers. And, of course, Grace FM, Colorado, up to Cheyenne, Wyoming, uh, and parts of Nebraska at times, depending on the weather, you know, how the FM radio signal. But everyone else listening outside of Grace FM, right now you're listening to a one-week delayed program. Uh, and we are actively pursuing and praying about uh, getting the right equipment and getting all the engineering things to go live on different stations. So we're going to be sure to let you know when we go live. Uh, we're looking forward to it, of course. Um, so pray for us. There is an investment um, equipment and timing and engineering. But the Lord knows uh, what we need before we even need it. And we're hopeful uh, to uh, bring it online. 303-690-3000, 303-690-3000, taking your calls and your questions, or you can text me, 720 <clears throat> Let's go to up to Fort Collins, Colorado. Teddy is on the line. Teddy, welcome to the program. Hi, Pastor Al. I'm so glad that you took my call. Thank you for that. Sure. You're welcome. And I have been wondering about the Shabbat. Okay. uh, And whether is that a Christian practice that is acceptable? Well, the Shabbat or Sabbath, you know, we commonly refer to it uh, as the Sabbath, was a day given to... Um, followers of God, the nation of Israel, part of the Mosaic Covenant, 
Um, that's the, you know, what we would refer to as the, we would commonly know that as the Ten Commandments, but given to Moses. Uh, it is a day of non-activity, a day of rest, a day to acknowledge that in six days God created the earth, and on the seventh day he rested, and it's God in, God's intention for, uh, as a part of the relational covenant with him, that his people unlike the world around them, would rest. And as we fast forward into the new covenant, through the blood that was shed uh, by Jesus Christ, the Sabbath has changed. Um, What we do with the Sabbath has changed. And what I mean by the Sabbath changing, not the day, the Sabbath is still on the calendar as Saturday, um, but how it's observed has changed uh, it is no longer observed as a day of, of committed, <clears throat> um, necessary worship in order to be a right relationship with God. Um, as a matter of fact, the Bible now teaches that the Sabbath, um, the rest that we're looking for, is found in Christ. So the Sabbath became a picture and a type of the coming finished rest in Jesus Christ. It's no longer a mandated uh, instruction of worship as it was under the Mosaic Covenant. However, the principle of rest still applies. God would still have us to rest. He would have us to rest spiritually in Christ, and he would also have us to rest physically in, um, in, in our bodies, taking a day off from work, um, taking a day to worship, Uh, to acknowledge God, uh, to uh, not work ourselves into the ground physically, but as a requirement to be right with God, to be in a right relationship with God, the Sabbath no longer applies. Needed to know. Yeah, it was kind of strange for me, but I was visiting some people in Pagosa Springs last month, and I was invited to a Shabbat. Yes. And I went to the, to their dinner, and yes. it just seemed to me like there was a lot of ritual involved with it, and uh, you know things that were a lot like the Catholic Church used to be. Church. And I wondered, is, is this from the Bible, or why are we doing this? Well, it definitely is from the Bible. So that's a good observation, depending on how, you know, so the the Shabbat meal or the Passover meal in the scriptures has great biblical significance as a type of Jesus Christ to come. And so the, the participation in that today, there's nothing wrong with the participation in a Sabbath meal. For example, when we go to Israel... And we take teams to Israel, our guides are, are secular, observant Jews. They are not um, our guide and our bus driver. They're not uh, born again, uh, although we've loved them and shared with them for many years, and we're still very hopeful. Uh, and, you know, in Israel, everything shuts down Friday night, uh, and they, they give us uh, an insight um, our, I was just looking at a picture recently of what um, some of the pieces of the Sabbath meal and what they do, um, what they do historically. And one of the pictures that I was just looking at is our guide breaking off the traditional bread. 
And if only they would take that and say, that's a picture, if they would realize that that is a picture and a type of the bread of life, like Jesus Christ is all throughout the Passover meal. Um, it is super significant. However, if it's being, if it's, part, if, you know, somebody's participating in it so that they could say, you have to do this, this is the only way you could be right with God, uh, you know, that would be a mistake biblically. It's yeah. not, mm-hmm. no longer mandated uh, as a way to be right with God. Yeah. Well, I was I was wondering, and then after I got home, I had one of my friends, whom I go to church with here, actually say she wished that they would start the Shabbat tradition, and I didn't have a chance to ask her what she meant by that, but, you know, it just made me curious. And well, sometimes, know. you know, I, I can't speak for your friend, but being around and hearing things for many years now, sometimes the the Western church, if you will, of, of which we're all a part of, uh, can be a rather shallow uh, experience. <clears throat> In some churches, you know, not even teaching the Bible anymore, completely disconnected from our Hebrew roots, from our Jewish roots. Um, uh, we here at Calvary, because we teach through the whole Bible, um, we very much want to connect our church with the Jewish roots, um, but they're they're just that they're roots. It's not a call to go back to Judaism. It's not a call to go back to uh, following the law. It's not a, you know the the thing about those that m- may want to bring back the Shabbat or they may want to bring back some of the feasts for the sake of modern day worship is they they want they want to have some of that that connection to the origins of Christianity, you know, because Judaism is the cradle of Christianity, um, but sometimes people want the cradle and not the baby, um, and they want to go back. And that's what the whole book of Galatians and the whole book of Hebrews was written against, um, that we have a new covenant, and the new covenant supersedes and replaces the old covenant. Um, So anything that we participate in the old covenant uh, is merely symbolic because we have the substance, and that's what Hebrews is all about. We have the substance by faith in Jesus. So you could say, I wish we had the Shabbat. And I said, do you have faith in Jesus? Well, of course I have faith in Jesus. Then you participate in Shabbat because he is your Sabbath. He is your rest. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, sometimes too, there's a whole group of people that would want you, there's a Hebrew roots movement that makes it mandatory to participate in these things. The problem with that is, is you can't pick and choose. If you're going to go back to the law and you're going to go back and keep some of these things, then you need to start sacrificing animals again. And then their answer would be, no, no, no. Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away. He's been sacrificed once and for all. Well, if he's been sacrificed once and for all, then there's no need whatsoever to go back and adopt anything from Judaism. Actually, yes, exactly, yeah. That's my belief. So yes, I, I just, mine too. I just wondered, you know, what what it's all about and, and why it's being practiced nowadays. If you need, um, if you need a Bible study on on answering this particular question, I, I taught one. It says, "Must Christians worship on the Sabbath?" Because that's you know where our Seventh Day Adventist friends and many others would say, "Oh, you." You know, you have the mark of the beast, you're worshiping on Sunday, 
And I, I addressed that in a very thorough Bible study that if you email me, I'll send you the notes. Okay, I'll do that. Okay. Yeah, Fantastic. thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks, Teddy. You're welcome. All righty, bye-bye. You're welcome. 303-690-3000, 303-690-3000. Text to me, 720-336-0897. Uh, down to Colorado Springs, Kate is on the line. Kate, welcome to the program. Hi. Hi. How are you? Great, how are you? I am good. I'm actually calling because a few days ago I was on social media and I was just kind of reading through... Uh, it was, and I can't even remember, but it had to do with the study of Leviticus, and and I've recently began uh, doing uh, devotionals and uh, getting into the Word more. And somebody had sent me a private message about reasons why I shouldn't follow Christianity, and um, they had given me the scripture, First uh, Timothy uh, passages nine through fifteen, specifically eleven through fifteen. Um, with submitting. And so I was just calling to see if, you know, I can gain some insight in, in regards to how to respond. Sure. Uh, I think you're referring to the admonitions with women and their role within the teaching ministry or leadership of the church. Is that the passage uh, that you're referring to? Let me get to it. First Timothy 2, uh, 11. Um, okay, let's start in verse 8 and see, is this the passage you're, I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands, and then he goes down to say, let a woman learn in silence with all submission? Are you still with us? Yes, I'm here. Hello? Can you hear me? Is that the passage you're talking about? Let a woman it learn is. in silence? Okay. It is. So it says in verse 11, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed first, and then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. Nevertheless, she'll be saved by childbearing if they continue in faith, love, holiness, and self-control. Um, and so it is one of those troubling passages, especially in a culture like ours, um, and with so much abuse and mistakes that have been made over the years, uh, it sounds rather strange to hear that there are specific, very well-defined roles uh, within within the world, within the church, uh, specifically when it when it comes to when it comes to men and women. That there is truly a distinction. I think that's where you know that's where Paul goes back to verse thirteen, or excuse me, back to Genesis, where he makes the distinction between Adam. And Eve, you know, there are differences between men and women in their function within the church. Um, I'm going to throw out a real fancy word here uh, that could be used when you're answering people, and that is from a biblical perspective, men and women are ontologically, that's O-N-T-O-L-G-I-C-A-L-L-Y, ontologically equal in every way. And that word ontological simply means by nature. That you and I, we've been created in the image of God. And as we stand before God, we are, uh, we are equal in God's redemptive purposes. We're equal in receiving his love. We're equal in so many ways, but we're also different. Uh, and that's one of the things that's being pulled out here is Paul. Again, you know, 1 Timothy was written 
to a young man by the name of Timothy. He was a pastor, that he was taking over a very large, prominent church after very strong leadership uh, in the city of Ephesus. And this older man, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, was instructing him on how to conduct the affairs of the church. And so we do. We get to a place where there is some, there's still major disagreement on this passage today in the church. Um, And they fall into two categories when it comes to women. Uh, One category would be considered complementarianism. Again, I'm giving you fancy words to help you understand the bigger picture um, of of how the church views this. And the complementarianism, in very simple summary, is the idea that that the ministry and the role of men and women is that there is a complementary relationship between the two and that God has established male headship. And that's not accepted in the culture today. Uh, He's accepted male headship in the home where the male has the responsibility to oversee and lead his home and and that's a husband, and then the wife would come alongside in a complimentary way to love, support, and even co-lead in many ways um, the home, uh, but God is going to hold the man responsible for uh, the oversight that he had of his home and also in the church. And so we at Calvary would be a complimentary, um, we, we would view our leadership in the church complimentary. The other view is called egalitarianism, and that, that's the idea that, hey, women can do anything men can do, uh, including be pastors and elders in the church. And that's the essence of the, the debate here. Um, as he's talking about this, let's talk about it from the scriptures. So eight, uh, verse 8, I desire therefore men to pray everywhere. We all agree on that. Lifting up holy hands, we agree with that. Without wrath and doubting, we agree with that. In like manner, women should adorn themselves modestly. I think we mostly uh, agree with that. I mean, I don't see anyone that would say uh, that we shouldn't be modest. With propriety and moderation, not with braided hair, gold, or pearls, or some costly clothing. So we pause there for a second because it sounds like Paul's making a general statement and then a specific statement. And the specific statement was a particular way to wear your hair in the first century, uh, gold, pearls, costly clothing, that in the context of that church, he was limiting or encouraging uh, moderation, and then he gives a little bit of a description for it. And then he, then he goes back general, which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Then he says, now I think he's getting specific again, let a woman learn in silence with all submission. Now we know for sure this cannot be perfect silence, like absolutely never say anything, We know that contextually because just earlier, women are encouraged to prophesy and speak out loud the words of God. So when we're studying difficult passages, we not only have to pull from it contextually, but then we have to compare scripture for scripture. So this is not an admonition for women can never speak. Um, It's a precise, uh, I think he's addressing something that has to do with lack of submission Um, and by application, you could say that for men too, but for women here. And then he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, but to be in silence. And then he gives a biblical admonition to um, to go back to Genesis and the order of creation and substantiate it, not with cultural 
uh, explanations, but with biblical explanations. So here's the controversy. Um, the controversy is what is a what is the role for women in leadership in the church? That's really the controversy here. It's it's not an admonition that women can never speak. That's just not accurate in the whole totality of the scriptures. So we have to conclude that Paul was saying something specific to that church. But what does it mean that a woman can't teach or have authority over a man? And that's the big that's the big controversy. Where we've landed here at Calvary is we believe that the role of elder and pastor is to be held by a man. You see that modeled throughout the New Testament, throughout the book of Acts. You see that in the leadership of Jesus. You see that even back into the Old Testament. It's not a statement of inferiority. It's not a statement of value like men are better than women or anything. It's simply roles and responsibilities. Other churches disagree, and um, we make room for that. That's okay for disagreement, but we do believe we have a biblical, um, we can hold to a biblical conclusion that the role of pastor and elder within the church leadership is to be held by men. What are your thoughts? Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's pretty much what I was getting out of it. Um, I just wasn't sure, you know, as far as, uh, because there are, you know, churches down here in the Springs that have brought on uh, pastors that are women, and um, and I wasn't directed at Second, or sorry, First Timothy for uh-huh. that. Um, I just, I mean, it's it's definitely something that um, I agree with. I just wanted to make sure that my understanding of it was exactly that. You know, it is it is difficult. I have friends that have um, women on their staff as pastors, and and you know the even though I disagree with it, I think God's going to sort it out. There have been dramatic. I have learned, you know, so this idea of limiting teaching is an interesting uh, concept too, because I'm certain that we've speaking for men, we've all read books that have been written by women and been greatly edified by them. Uh, my wife was preparing for her women's Bible study, not to, um, you know, this week and she's listening and I hear it in the house. She's listening to Kay Arthur, who's a phenomenal by first by verse Bible teacher. Um, and I don't believe God's telling Ed Taylor, do not listen to Kay Arthur. She is a woman. No, I don't believe that at all. I believe if she has a word that's spoken from God that I can receive it. I believe the emphasis is leadership and authority I don't believe it's teaching. For example, here at Calvary, you know, we wouldn't have a woman pastor, but we have had marriage retreats. And, you know, in marriage retreats, you know what we have up on the stage? A husband and a wife. And you know what the husband and a wife are doing? They're teaching. And there are men and women in the audience. And I believe that God can can, can and does use women. We have many godly women on our staff here at the church that hold very key leadership positions. And I wouldn't... You know, if they decided to, hey, Ed, Pastor Ed, or her Ed, I have a word for you. I wouldn't say at my door, thou art a woman. You may not give me a word. Tell it to your husband, and he can, like, no. I There's relational, we're brother and sister in the Lord. And a sister can share whatever she wants with me. Um, and I can receive it as from the Lord, and I can test it from the scriptures, whether it's true or not. Um, but to that place of, that's where I think authority, authority is very key. Not that... Not that a woman couldn't have authority in the sense that 
she is right and I am wrong, of course that can happen. But for her to stand as an authority over my family in the pastoral ministry, there's just not one example in all the Bible of that happening. Not one. It's a modern day cultural phenomenon. Okay. Yeah, that's exactly what I needed to hear. I mean, um, I'm fairly new into digging into Bible studies. Yes. And so uh, this is definitely insight that I'm going to take with me. And uh, I've definitely written down um, quite a few notes. And thank you so much. So let me introduce you to a concept uh, because you sound like a serious student. Uh, and because of your seriousness, I want to introduce you to a concept as you continue to study. You will, and I'll give you a recommendation on a book as well that will help you with difficulties. Um, as you study and as you read, and especially if you're dabbling in the social media realm, which will lead to great confusion because that's a, that is the wild, wild west, uh, unregulated, you know, people that have no authority in their life, um, that can say whatever they want. It's, many of them are wanting to sow seeds of confusion and all of that. As you're reading through the Bible, most of the Bible is going to be easy to understand. And you'll be able to understand it on its face value. You'll be able to understand it. You pick this particular passage is challenging at face value. Um, but you notice one of the things I did was I said, well, let's just look at this text about all the things that we could see and understand clearly. People praying, lifting up their hands. And, you know, that's clear. And then there's controversy. So whenever you come up against a controversial or a debatable passage, Always fall back on the things that are easier to understand first. Don't lose those things for the argument because the argument can shadow, can bring a big shadow on things that are so easy to understand. And don't throw away the easy things for the things that will be hard. There are some very difficult things, challenging things in the Bible, but most of the Bible is super easy to understand. And focus on those, especially in these early stages. And keep a good notebook so you can write down your questions and you can keep a notebook and a pen next to you and you can write down your thoughts, write down your questions so that you can get back to the easy parts and receive the easy parts, let the Holy Spirit grow you and not get stuck on the hard parts. Okay, thank you. And uh, what was the recommendation? Okay, so there's it's called it's a Bible difficulty book and it's one of the first books I bought as a new believer probably one of the best purchases. It's not in print anymore, so you have to get it used. But okay. the title is When Critics Ask. Now, I have when, one called When Skeptics Ask. Okay, so he, they're companions. Uh, critics is about twice the, twice the size. And so you're already familiar with the way Norman Geisler does it. Um, yes. In the skeptics version, he's addressing... Those, those that would come to the Bible with a skeptic's view and explained, gives reasonable explanations for the skeptics. So on when critics, it's just a pure Bible difficulty. Here, I'm going to look and see if he even addresses this because um, I always have it open for the show. Uh, so let me get to it here. First Timothy 2. Let's see if he even addresses it. Um, yep. I mean, here, here's his question. Does the Bible limit the ministry of women? And then he goes, and, and his answer is, not at all. Um, it doesn't degrade their personality, doesn't degrade, doesn't deny women, um, but it does, 
you know, he goes, he pretty much answers like I did. I mean, he does it much better, but women are created in the image of God like men. They're equal. Men and women are equal by redemption, he says. Um, there are no sex symbols on ministry gifts listed in the Bible. There were many women that followed Jesus and served alongside of him. And whatever Paul might have meant by women be silent, he didn't mean they couldn't have any ministry in the church. Pretty much what I shared, but um, he goes into much in depth. Super good resource. And both of those resources will help you the rest of your life. Okay, I will have to get that book. All right. God bless you. All right. Thank you. All righty. Bye-bye. Hey, we're coming up to the end of the first half. Uh, you're listening to Calvary Live. My name is Ed Taylor. I'm the pastor here at Calvary Church. Give me a call. we got phone lines that are open, 303-690-3000, 303-690-3000. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Hey, welcome back to the second half of today's program. This is Calvary Live. It comes to you uh, live uh, on the Grace FM radio network here in originating in Aurora, Colorado. Um, We have two stations that cover... Uh, a large part of the population of Colorado, 89.7 here in Denver metro area that will take you all the way up into Cheyenne, Wyoming, and down south of Castle Rock. And then when you are south on Castle Rock, you pick up our station down south at 101.7, 101.7 Grace FM. And of course, we're also on the Hope FM radio network. Welcome, everyone. Uh, Truth FM. And the Freedom Radio, Freedom Radio Network. Uh, you guys are hearing it one week delayed, uh, as well as some LP stations uh, around the country. Boise, Idaho is one of them that just picked us up. So hello to everyone in Boise. Um, been a while since I've been in Boise, but boy, did I love ministry uh, when I was there. So bless you guys joining us. You're hearing on a one week delayed, and that's great because that means you could call the show while it's on the air. We'll answer your phone, you know, we'll answer your call like you're on the phone with us, and then you will hear it on the radio next week, uh, and you can hear yourself on the radio, which is kind of cool. All right, so we're taking your calls, 303-690-3000. We're going to come back to Aurora, uh, or Julia in Aurora, Colorado. Welcome to the program. Hi, Ed. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Um, I'm happy to be on here. We've met before. I love Calvary Aurora, so thank you Great. for doing the ministry there. Um, yes. I have a question because I've been digging in Exodus. I've been wanting to just kind of understand Moses and the law a little bit better. Um, and, I mean, Prince of Egypt is a bit off. There's a lot of details I missed out on. Um, but I am confused about Chapter 21. Um, there's a section where it's talking about like commandments, like not the commandments, it's right after the commandments and, uh, God was giving them law and, um, they talk about slavery and there's just, it's like a three part question because I guess the first one is why would God let like, so it said that, um, if a master gives his slave a wife, he would leave if he like if he left free, his wife would have to stay with the master. 
I don't see them like I don't see the reasoning behind that. Well, first of all, remember as the children of Israel are coming out of Egypt, they are in need of specific direct help in becoming the nation that God desires them and giving direction for them to not be like the pagan nations around them. And unfortunately, you know, man's corruptness by the time the children of Israel, that being slaves themselves and being treated harshly as slave labor themselves, slavery already existed and it was already deeply embedded, unfortunately, in the Hebrew culture. Uh, And so God is giving them direction to not only ease them out of slavery, to give them a higher purpose, to give them a higher calling, but for those that would be unwilling and remain hard-hearted, he's giving directions on how to be kinder, how to be helpful, uh, and how to how to have that distinction um, from all the nations around them. And so these these various instructions were to be more focused upon following the instructions and not carelessly living within an environment where you are not valuing the person, you're not speaking of the person's value being created in the image of God. Uh, and you know, to the specific questions, why would they stay? Why would they go? I don't really have answers to that in particular, except that I know that God, as he's moving them along, is, is, wanting, them to, is wanting them to understand his righteousness, his character, his nature as they leave uh, and learn how to worship him specifically, learn how to leave behind. By the time, you know, leaving Egypt, the type of slavery that, um, and using that word, slavery is condemned. Uh, it is not good, not acceptable, not God's will to own another person and to misuse them and abuse them for your own capitalistic purposes. That is not God's will. Um, but he's giving instruction, like it's almost like a dad to a child. Like this is God. This is the highest. This is the highest. This is what we. But you're living at a lower level, so I'm going to speak to that lower level. Uh, I'm going to speak to that. Um, you know, like like a dad speaking to a kid, as I've done with my with my children. But you know, maybe even in the times that I've uh, instructed people. Um, that addiction, you know, my, my, my first out of the gate statement to someone that comes up after a service dealing with addictions, God has delivered you, you're born again. Um, and, um, man, you can stop. But then I might say, but man, if you drink, don't drive. And you go, how could you say that? Ed, just tell them not to drink. I did tell them not to drink, but knowing that they probably won't listen to me, then I'm going to give them another instruction if you decide to do something that's sinful, please don't drink and drive. And the same principle, I believe, in a much higher level is what God is telling the children of Israel. There's a highest level that be perfect as I am perfect, obey me, live for me. But man, that's the level you want to live on. Then I'm going to give you instruction on that level that you're living on. Okay, that's coming up perspective of in that time period slavery was more like servitude in a sense and it's actually security because it's um you have like someone to support you you have food 
do house shelter. So I have heard that too. If you want to say anything about that, yeah, it's definitely both. I mean, there was real bona fide mistreatment of people and true slavery as we would understand it in a 21st century context. But there was also uh, the work, it was it, what slavery is being described in some instances in the scripture is actually work-based. And, and yet you're still indebted, you know, there's still someone that has something that you don't and you're cooperatively working together, but there is a person in authority and there is a person working. And, you know, the there, there are even our deeper relationships of a willing servant so that after they have done, after they have finished their requirement, they they enjoyed the relationship that they had with that person that was the family that was over them, that they willingly stayed uh, and they would take their ears and put them up on the doorpost and they would take an awl and they would pierce their ear and put a ring in the ear and that would show to anyone that was saying that this person's here willingly voluntarily they like their role and position Uh, and again it's such an incendiary word slavery as it should be um, but it doesn't always apply the 21st century definition doesn't always apply looking back into the scriptures however we have to be real sometimes it does apply that's what they were delivered from Um, they were they were horrendously treated uh, in Egypt, and some of them horrendously treated each other. I mean, look at Nehemiah. They were they they may not have had a slave relationship, but what happened within in by the time Nehemiah's day comes, they were loaning them money and taking their land and making them be in debt so that they would take everything that they own, um, because sin has corrupted us all, and God doesn't approve of things that He reveals to us. He just reveals them to us. And the fact that he tells us something doesn't mean that he approves of it. Okay. Interesting. Um, Well, I guess that answered my next two parts of the question, because I was also, like, questioning the morality of, like, a father giving off his daughter for slavery. And the way Exodus 21, I was reading ESV, um, was describing it, it sounded like it was a sexual kind of relationship, like almost marital status in a way. Yeah, I mean, again, looking at some of the ways that God's saying the, the, the limitation, what what verse are you looking at? Let me let me see it real quick here. What, um, which particular? I have 21? it written down, sorry. It's, it's later, see. I think it's, okay, it's 7 through 11 is addressing the daughters. 7 through 11... If a man sells his daughter to be a maidservant, I'm look, reading from the Old King James. Uh, if a man sells his daughter to be a maidservant, she shall go not go out as the men servants do. Um, if she please not her master who has betrothed her to himself, then she shall he shall uh, shall he let her to be redeemed. Um, uh, seeing del deceitfully, that's um, you know there there is. Uh, as hard as this is to read, there is mercy here, allowing the opportunity for freedom uh, to come. Um, and again, families would be put under this extreme pressure that would be forced to sell their own children into slavery, uh, into servitude. Um, and you know, a father might think his daughter couldn't handle being a slave for six years. And God says, no, she would not serve. Um, uh, God says she would not serve for six years, but for life. And I think that there's a differentiation of God's intent that parents give serious, 
Like this was kind of a, a limitation to the husband. Look, this is going to be lifetime. Or excuse me, to the dad. This is going to be lifetime. This is no small decision that you make with your children. Uh, again, kind of like, hey, it's better not to do it at all. But if you even consider it, you need you need to understand the price that's paid. It reminds me of another situation in the Bible where the people of God were crying out for a king. We want a king. We want a king. And God sent a messenger to them and says, you guys don't understand what you're asking for. You're, you're going to, he's going to take ownership of your children. He's going to tax you. If you want a king like all the other nations, it's going to be horrendous. And I think some of Exodus 21 is not only prescriptive, but it's also protective that might put a second thought into a dad's life to say, don't do it. Don't allow it. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I think that answers my question. Um, I mean, later on in verse 16, I believe it does say, uh, you know, someone shouldn't steal a man and put him into slavery. So, but you kind of explained it how some people would actually willingly put other, like their, put themselves into slavery or put their kids into slavery. So I guess it's just understanding culture which I love. So if you have any good resources for that, I would love to look into it. Hmm. That is a good question. Email me and I will look for something for you. Okay. That'd be great. Um, But but I do think, (laughs) I I I do think you're doing the, my coworker I just talked to today, I got to witness a little bit and get like a bit of a spiritual diagnosis on her beliefs. And um, her situation just really like touched my heart. And so I feel like I should pray for her and her to come and understand and know Jesus um, as her Lord and Savior. What's, what's her name? Um, her name is Casey. Lord, we pray for Casey today as she has had your loving presence uh, brought into her workplace uh, through the life of Julia. And I pray that you would nurture those seeds and water those seeds of the gospel that have been firmly planted, that there would be a righteous, beautiful outpouring of a fruit in her life and bring her to that place of full surrender to you. I pray for Julia too as she grows in your grace, Lord, and walks through these open doors that you would use her in even greater capacities. And, and we're, we're grateful that, that you would allow us not only to know you personally, but to serve you. And, and so I pray, God, for the opportunities that you lay before us, that we would be faithful to uh, live them out day by day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Ed. You're welcome. Let me say one more thing about Exodus 21. If we would live to the, if the children of Israel would live to the highest level of God's desire, Exodus 21 would be irrelevant. Okay. And that's many times, if you, if you think of, if, if you think of our lives, and remember the Bible says that the law is for lawbreakers. That if we're living in an abiding, like take it to the new covenant, if we're living in an abiding relationship with the Lord, we don't need to be told not to lie because we're not lying. And we don't need to be told not to misuse and abuse someone because we're not. We're living in that abiding presence. And that principle actually goes throughout the scriptures that if if the children of Israel would live at the higher level, not a sim, not a, a syncretistic view of, well, we'll take a little bit of Egypt with us. Remember, because they had the 
stragglers. They had the mixed multitude. So we'll take a little bit of Egypt with us and we'll take a little bit of this and we'll take a later on, we'll take a little bit of Babylon and mix it all up. If And for us today, if we will, we'll take a little bit of the world and we'll take a little bit of the culture. Well, then that's where the law comes in. That's where the prohibitions come in. That's where, hey, if you're thinking about this, listen, don't do it. But if you do, do it in a direction that's going to take you that will honor and value people uh, rather than completely misuse them. So when I think of a difficult passage like this, and you're like, man, what is going on here? Um, well, God is speaking like he does to you and me at the lower level going, man, I wish you weren't living at that lower level, but here is my admonition to you at that lower level. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. God bless you, Julia. God bless you too. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. 303 Let's go to line three is Ken in Littleton. Ken, welcome to the program. Hi, Ed. How are you? I'm doing okay. How are you? Good. Um, hey, Ed, um, um, this is kind of a spin-off question um, um, from what uh, Teddy was talking about, which was going back to, for, for some people who are going to, you know, whether it's Seventh-day Adventist or Met, even Messianic uh, Christians who mm-hmm. come to believe that you have to worship on the Sabbath, um, this plays along the lines of something we... we um, study in Hebrews about Jesus making um, the sacrificial uh, system of animal sacrifice obsolete, because he's the unblemished lamb now. Um, But um, my question is, in Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, where Paul described the coming of the day of the Lord not coming until two things happened, the apostasy and the man of lawlessness being revealed, then it describes what what he will do, setting himself up as God in the temple. And um, and then, so now jump over to Matthew 24, where Jesus says the end will not come until the, the abomination of desolation described by the prophet Daniel or prophesied by Daniel occurs. Mm-hmm. Um, some people that I've met have talked about um, when the regular sacrifice, animal sacrifice is reinstituted when the temple is rebuilt and the red heifer is sacrificed, that that will be the abomination of desolation. Have you ever heard of that? I haven't. Uh, I do know that, you know, in Daniel chapter 12, uh, let me get there with you, Daniel chapter 12, I think it's like verse 10, let me see here, Uh, let me see. Uh, 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 let me get there. I got the wrong Bible open. So Daniel, I think it's Daniel chapter 12, verse 11-ish. He said, go your way, Daniel. The words are closed up, sealed. Many shall be purified, made white. And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there'll be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. So there is a a distinction between whatever the regular sacrifices or what was happening 
um, in the rebuilt temple and the abomination of desolation being set up. Um, you know, many people believe that's some kind of image that's going to be similar to um, the image set up in, earlier in Daniel where there is a false worship, a desecration of the temple um, will continue on by having some kind of image. You know how it was in Antiochus, Antiochus Epiphanes in the first century, he slaughters a pig. Um, and many people look back at that as a foretaste uh, in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, look at it as a foretaste of the abomination, trying to bring abomination into the worship system, especially in the last days. So whatever the Antichrist chooses to do, um, it will desecrate the temple, setting up some kind of sacrilegious object. Okay, okay. Because well, it does say that he does horrific things, not just yeah. proclaims himself to be God, but it says uh, the law is one on well, you know, Antiochus Epiphanes set up a false altar of Zeus and sacrificed there to the pagan yeah. gods. You know, that's right. Right. That's that's a foretaste so, of something that's going to take place um, from the Antichrist. Right. Something like that. Right. Possibly. Okay. You know, it's okay. it's not always one to one. You know, it's not always a one to one exact. Um, but when you think of, when you see what Daniel says, the abomination of desolation is set up, um, you know, that set up could be a system, it could be a thing, it could be both. Okay. Okay, um, and then a follow-up to this question would be, did you ever hear um, about um, after the Lord was crucified, um that every every um, day of atonement that uh, the lamb or, or every Passover um, that was celebrated after uh, Christ was crucified, the the offering was not accepted by God. That the smoke did not rise. Did you ever hear about that? I I haven't heard it the way that you've described it, but after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, even as temple worship continued, that that offering would not be accepted because it would be, and especially as spoken of in Hebrews, if you're going to continue right. to sacrifice animals in place of Jesus Christ, then just by default it wouldn't be accepted. Right, but um, in our study in Isaiah, in uh, Bible study, adult, um, adult Sunday school class, uh-huh. um, the teacher uh, read something from the rabbinical historical writings that, uh, that um, the sacrifice that they would sacrifice on Day of Atonement, I think, was never accepted for 40 years until Titus came in and destroyed the temple in 70 AD. When they say by accepted, what do they mean by that? Accepted by the priests well, or accepted by God? Accepted by God. Yeah, I don't know if it was in the form of the smoke being blown down, kind of like we see in the movies with uh, yeah. Cain's sacrifice being blown. Oh, I see. I see. No, I've never heard that before. I, it's interesting that God would. Um, he certainly is capable of giving some visual sign uh, to his nation that, um, you know, I mean, I don't know how much more you would need, though, 
right? Then the the visible resurrection of Christ, the witnesses of them. And then, you know, earlier on, Jesus um, being baptized, the Holy Spirit comes in the form of the dove, and there's a voice from heaven. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. But God is certainly capable of giving those visual cues. I've never heard that before. But remember, when you get into the rabbinic uh, writings, you get into the Talmud, um, it's very similar to the church fathers with Roman Catholicism. Um, they're they're making statements. They're not inspired. Um, some of them could be possible. Most of them are absolutely made up and not true. Um, so I don't know where that would fit. But that's an interesting thought. I've never heard it before, but it would certainly be interesting. Yeah, um, and as you were citing all those other things, the earthquake, the tor- veil torn yes, in two. Yes, yes. Uh, it would have changed. It should have changed things, but I think they continue to do the reg- the sacrifices for you know the next. And we know year. they did. Yeah, we know yeah. they did uh, for sure. And I think I think you're you you make a great um, observation as well for the coming rapture of the church. The rapture of the church will be a very climatic, dramatic event um, of cataclysmic proportions. Uh, as the remaining real bona fide believers in Christ are raptured up together to be with Christ forever uh, in the air. He doesn't come to the earth. He comes in the air. It's going to be a cataclysmic event that precedes, you know, the, the precedes the time of the revelation of the Antichrist in the seven year tribulation period. But you would think that would be enough. You would think but you can see with our friends Bezos and Musk and now William Shatner, everybody's getting their eyes on on space, and we've got to have new frontiers. And we because you can already get the perspective, right? Our culture is going to say something like, "Oh, the aliens got them," and everyone, "Oh, yeah, I guess the, the aliens were right all along." And just to the very end, just like when you read, you know, hailstones are falling on them, uh, and they still refuse to repent. They still to the very end refuse to repent, which you know makes me very sad on the one hand and also very encouraged that God would allow me the opportunity to repent of my sins and not experience that. We are blessed for that, aren't we? Man, I mean, I don't think we give enough credence or credit to what God is doing uh, and what God has done in our lives. It's amazing. Well, my... My prayer is that God will delay. I have a son and daughter that, though they were raised in understanding the gospel um, from young on, um, after grad school, <laughs> um, both of them have fallen away um, to where they... Um, my son is talking Buddhist now, and my daughter is... Um, is um, uh, talking humanist, more mm. humanist now. And, well, um, we just finished so- these passages in our midweek Bible study, and they're so encouraging. It says, Beloved, don't forget this one thing, that with the Lord a day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And then when you jump down to verse 15, he says, And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. And 
I'm encouraged that God had you in mind and every other parent listening in that has a wayward kid. He, he had you in mind when he, of all the things he could have taught and all the illustrations he could have used, he gives us the illustration of the prodigal son who wanders away for an extended period of time, never stopped being a son, never stopped that blood relationship with his father, and he did come home. And therefore, I conclude that every real, true prodigal doesn't lose their blood relationship. They lose a lot of benefits. They experience a lot of consequences and experience a lot of hardship and pain. But not only do they not lose their blood relationship, but they every real prodigal comes home. And that's our trust and our. That's why God's long. That's why He hasn't come yet. He's waiting. It's for salvation. Okay, brother, I got to go. The show's all the way to the end already. God bless you. All right. Sorry, guys, I'm not able to uh, get to the rest of the calls or the texts, but I appreciate the opportunity to um, be with you this afternoon and and uh, just praying for those that are discouraged and those that are you know, under the weight of so many different things. Um, very challenging, um, but the Lord has not forgotten you, and uh, he'll get you through today. He'll get you through the circumstance uh, moment by moment, um, day by day. And those of you that are connected with those uh, under the weight of hardship and difficulty, encourage them, you know, reach out compassion, love on them. Perhaps get them to church this weekend. We'll be at Calvary Saturday night, Sunday morning. Go to our website, calvaryco.church. That includes everyone all around the country. We invite you electronically. Join us. Join us and find a local church uh, where you can... Uh, Worship the Lord with folks in your community. God bless you guys. See you this weekend. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's word.